Welcome back to She Discovered Podcast, where this season I will be discussing everything sexuality. Okay, well, not everything. (laughs) My guests and I have already discussed both male and female sexual awareness based on our upbringing and adulthood experiences. In today's episode, I am joined by sex and relationship therapist, Casey Polite, where we discuss sexual awareness via the body, as well as a breakdown of the female's sexual anatomy. This is going to be a good one. Casey is a clinical social worker slash therapist based in Texas with over 18 years of experience, expanding now to sexual therapy in the past couple of years. She is the pleasure pusher, speaking to the magnitude of her passion to help people address sexuality, distressing issues to improve their sexual health and well-being. For more information on Casey, please check out where you can find her via the show notes. This is going to be a fun and informative episode, so stay locked in. This Around the Way girl wants to chat with you. She's discovering new information in this world that surrounds her, tapping into her inner power, her sexuality, and taking ownership of her insecurities. She discovered she had to unlearn some things. Come and enjoy her moments of reflection, re-education, redefinition, and evolution. Kick back, sip some wine, take a drive, whatever your vibe. Join me, your host, Shay Sana, with She Discovered Podcast. So stay tuned. You might learn some things. have an awesome guest that I'm so happy to say that we have on. I have Casey Polite, a sex and relationship therapist. If you don't know what sex therapy is, sex therapy is a type of talk therapy designed to help individuals and couples address medical, psychological, personal, or interpersonal factors impacting sexual satisfaction. Some of these sexual issues can look like low confidence, erectile functioning, ejaculating too early, painful intercourse, and the list goes on and on. And we have Casey Polite here that we're going to be talking a little bit about that, but we're mainly going to concentrate on the female sexual anatomy because I know you ladies have been asking me some questions. So I have the answers for you here today. So Casey, thank you so much for being on She Discovered Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to be part of this conversation, which as you know, I am very passionate about. Mm -hmm. I consider myself a pleasure pusher. That is my agenda to really help people maximize their pleasure experiences and really understand their pleasure potential because it impacts all other areas of your life, not just in the bedroom, right? So being able to activate your courage as it relates to your sexuality and to explore pleasure Mm -hmm. takes you to a place of just living in delight. That's what I'm here for. I love that. And you say courage because we're going to touch on a lot, but I realize the fact that you mentioned low confidence in one of the sexual issues, we usually don't look at that. We look at the mechanical issues like erectile dysfunction or painful intercourse or dryness down there for a female, but we never touch at the root of what's causing these things. Mm -hmm. Many of these things are caused by a root issue. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not feeling, if I am dry down there, not saying that it may not be a medical issue Mm -hmm. but some of the times or most of the times I realize the woman's body or just the experience has not been prepped yet we have not been educated as individuals and how to enter the sexual experience either married or unmarried um Mm -hmm. either faith-based or unfaith-based there's a lot of people out there that believe they understand the beauty or the pleasure of sex and we really are going based on what quote-unquote society has taught us. And I think I love that you're here because you're also going to teach us about the mechanical part as well as the Mm -hmm. human body. So before we get into all those things, what inspired you to enter into this field? Or tell us a little bit about your sexual journey of awareness that led you into this profession. Absolutely. So it definitely came from a place of personal exploration, a desire to change the way I experienced pleasure because it it became stagnant 
for me mm. over the years. And so I've been in the behavioral health field for over 18 years. Okay. Um, but just in the last three years, decided to specialize in sexuality. Therapy has always been kind of part of my profession, but running parallel to my profession was my relationship with self, relationship with others, trying okay. to discover what it meant for me to express myself sexually. Getting to a place where I didn't see people that looked like me 10 years ago that I could mm. talk to mm -hmm. about these issues, right? right? And honestly, as a therapist, at that time, I wasn't even involved in therapy for myself, just as a way to support me. And part of the reason was I didn't see people that looked like me doing it, that I felt mm -hmm. safe with. And so I think that really was the foundation of me saying, I need to provide this as a service. Okay. I want people to have someone that they can go to that has the cultural competency piece of it and has gone on their own journey, but also has the clinical expertise to go with it. Well-rounded, but you went on your own journey. I did. So, and I think yeah. people resonate with that more, mm -hmm. right? Because I remember there was a long, long time ago and I was trying to figure out my life. I was just like, I love counseling people. I love the idea of couples and, and marriage. So should I do marriage therapy? This was like right after the college and I was trying to see if I should switch careers mm -hmm. and a lot of people told me that they were like you could learn all you want not saying that you won't be successful but people won't probably be as receptive because you've never been married to understand the struggles yeah. you can give us all the advice but how will you understand certain dynamics right sure. I think it's beautiful that you made it a duty to say before and I'm just assuming for yourself mm -hmm. you're saying, before I enter this I want to make sure that I entered into it myself. 100%. Thank you. 100%. And so I would support my friends and people close to me having mm -hmm. these conversations a decade ago, but knew that I had to have a really clear sense of who I was as a sexual woman first before I really considered how I would impact people. Because as a therapist, you don't want to bring your own back baggage into the space. And so your own journey is very important in your ability to support someone else's healing. And that was really important to me. I got to a place of examining what are the things that I have held as true about me as a sexual person that mm -hmm. has gotten in the way of me feeling free in this space. So I had okay. to really examine those. Where did that come from? What does that mean? How have I lost parts of me in relationships? because okay. I didn't advocate for my own pleasure. Managing all of that has been a huge help in this process and my mm -hmm. ability, I think, to help other people. And I want to ask, once you came to that awareness and that shifting, what did that look like for you? Or give us like a visual. Mm -hmm. But before we get there, I'll say for myself, one of the elements was that growing up as a young girl in the hood culture, mm -hmm. I would say music was my teacher. Hip hop mm -hmm. music was my teacher. Of course, you had R&B that was a little lovey-dovey, but it still was a warped perception of what a sexual experience is yeah. um, to a certain extent hip-hop more more say but because hip-hop has such a misogynistic yes. foundation to it right For sure so movies music and and pornography yeah. so I realized with my sexual experience and not saying that it was all bad but it wasn't until maybe mid-20s entering into my 30s mm -hmm. while I became celibate or abstinent and you would think that that awareness would come from maybe me being more active and having different experiences with different partners that would enable me to be like, okay, this is what I want and I don't want. But for me personally, is the time that I took to reflect back on my sexual experiences to realize, mm -hmm. oh, I wasn't really totally being true to myself all the time. Mm -hmm. I was following a blueprint that I thought was for all women or all sexual experiences, right? Yeah. I was doing what I deemed would be pleasurable for the man. 
Yes. Because in your mind, you're just like, I don't want him to cheat on me. I don't want him to leave. I want him to be pleased. I don't want him talking about me bad in these streets. Yes. So, and even though, you know, I was in a relationship for a long period of time, but it's in the back of your head that yes. you, you want to be a pleasurable woman. You want to be a sexual woman. But when I took that time to myself, I realized there were a lot of things that I suffocated. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of things that I didn't voice yeah. because I felt I didn't have the right to voice it. With yourself, what what were the things that you became more aware of? What were some of the things that you had to shift? So the biggest thing I had to shift was accepting that I was still a good girl and a sexual being. Because socially, this idea of being a good girl is void of sexual desire. Yep. And so mm -hmm. my kind of people-pleasing personality growing up really took me away from doing things that really meant something for me because mm -hmm. I wanted other people to be pleased with my choices. Mm -hmm. So I think part of this liberation that I experienced, it looked like owning my sexual desires without judging myself about them okay. and not feeling any shame expressing them how I mm -hmm. chose to express them. Recognizing that no one else can define who I am as a sexual person. And that's freeing. You know, that's really freeing. I think after you fake enough orgasms, Something happens to you and you're just like, something about this just ain't right. We gonna talk about that girl. Like, <laughs> seriously. Right. right. Exactly. Cause you you begin to feel like a fraud. Not only a fraud to yeah. the person, but, but to yourself. yourself. Yes. yes. Like, yep. who am I kidding here? Mm -hmm. Who am I helping? What is the purpose? And yeah. I, I think I got to a place of saying, if I feel like I have to make sure my partner feels good about themselves by lying about the pleasure I'm receiving, should I even be doing this? Ooh, that's a word. Yes. Like, yeah. am I emotionally mature enough? To share my body with someone else, if I can't even be honest with them mm -hmm. about what I'm experiencing, but yet right. I'm giving them one of the most precious gifts that I could give somebody. It's yeah. just not an alignment. Thank you for coming this far into the episode. I wanted to share the exciting news of She Discovered Podcast expanding to YouTube. We will still be streaming audio episodes via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. In addition, extra episodes will air via YouTube from time to time. So please be sure to follow and subscribe. Updates and teasers can be found on Instagram at She Discovered Podcast. Enjoy the rest of the episode. So I had to take a look at that and say, okay, I need to regroup. And I'm so glad you brought up the point of a lot of the awakening for you happened when you weren't having sex. Mm -hmm. That's important for people to hear because so much of who we are as sexual beings comes from how we think about ourselves. True. So you spending time reflecting on that is way more important than you just having sexual experiences with your body because that mm. doesn't engage automatically your mind. Right, exactly. Because we had, I had another episode about sexual awareness with some homegirls of mine. Mm -hmm. And although we mentioned because what was brought up, right, was that someone who is choosing or is a virgin or is choosing abstinence, certain things that they're desiring are coming to an awareness of what they like or don't like, or how can they know what they like or don't like if they're not having the experience, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the idea of his experience came up. Mm -hmm. Although I understand that concept. Mm -hmm. But what I understood to be true is, although yes, by doing you learn what you like and don't like, but it doesn't mean you can't explore what you like and don't like outside of experience, right? Very and true. there is a education that yeah. I believe is important first. Yeah. Yeah. Educate yourself. Talk yeah. to other people to understand, married people to understand, yeah. read books. Like for myself, a book that we shared was two books. One is called The Queen V mm -hmm. by Dr. Jackie Walters, I believe. I even have the book here. Yeah, Jackie Walters, right? Mm -hmm. So it breaks down a lot about our vagina, our experiences. Mm -hmm. You could go in to understand, okay, this is how my sexual anatomy works. Mm -hmm. Or there's another book that I mentioned called The Great Sex Rescue, where mm -hmm. it's a Christian-based 
faith-based book, but mm -hmm. it's, it's dismantling a lot of the Christian mm -hmm. ideologies that we've been taught, especially in purity culture, shame. The man is always going to have a lustful mentality. So it's our jobs to make sure he's not tempted. All these different things, but while still keeping true to the Christian principles and morals, but also dismantling all those ideologies that have been more harmful than yeah. helpful within the church. So yeah. things like that, I think it's important for people to read on. Like, it's great to have an experience, but like you said, it starts in the mind first, right? Absolutely. How, how, how are you getting to this awakening outside of experiences. Like, although yes, a, a man or a woman can touch you and you could say, I like it there. or I like it here. But at the same time, what are the times that you took for yourself to light a candle, to listen to some music yeah. and to just be like, Oh, you know what? I didn't realize that things of senses allures yeah. me, you know? So all these different things that we'll get into again. But you mentioned premarital sex therapy on your website. Yes. Tell us more of why do you believe it's important? Because you always hear about premarital counseling, but you hardly hear about premarital sex therapy because sometimes it feels like, okay, if, the, if this couple is waiting for marriage, for yeah. sex... Yeah. Be careful what you say because you might tempt them. And in my mind, I'm like, these are human beings. They tempted regardless. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so I think it's it's vital to still give the information in a healthy way. Right. What is the importance to you for a pre-marital um, sex therapy? That service really was birthed from personal experience. Okay. I was celibate. So my first husband, we courted for 10 months, I believe. Mm -hmm. Had to be mm -hmm. 10 months, 10, 11 months before we got married. We did not have sex before we got married. We went to premarital counseling. I think the section on intimacy was probably like an hour and a half of mm. the entire curriculum. And it was more focused on love language, not about sexual history and understanding your partner. That's very important. That experience going in, I didn't know the impact it really would have to find out that you're not actually sexually compatible mm. with someone and I believe that if I had had more opportunity to explore that mm -hmm. conversation, there's things that I would have learned. Doesn't mean that I wouldn't have still chosen to marry, but I definitely would have had a greater understanding that I think is really important. So regardless of couples, I see couples for premarital sex therapy who are abstaining as well as those who aren't. And the value is still as impactful. Yes. Yes. Period. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter um, because the conversations that they are able to have, they create a level of intimacy that I believe truly supports the foundation of their relationship and understanding okay. of one another, as okay. well as dispelling expectations about what sex is going to look like after you get married. Yes. Mm -hmm. What that means as well as the importance of your partner really understanding what your experiences have been up to that point. You know, you have a partner and you want to know, tell me about your educational background. You know, what did you major in in school? How did that impact you? Mm -hmm. It's got you to this career that you're in now. Where do you see yourself five years from now? Like we talk about those things in a very rich way. Imagine if we had that same conversation about Tell me about sexual trauma that you may have experienced, sexual mm -hmm. experiences that you experience. How does that impact how you see yourself as a sexual person? Now, right. where do you think that's going to take you, right? I have clients who didn't have these conversations. They get married and then their wife wears a t-shirt when they have sex and they're like, well, you don't take your clothes. Oh, no, I don't take my clothes off. So no one talked about this before. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? No one yeah. talked about the insecurity that this woman has around her breasts and what that means for her and all, right? So those conversations can happen. Coping skills can be developed early that can help prevent a lot of um, resentment, hostility, and misunderstanding in mm -hmm. the relationship later. Keyword hostility. That is so true. And I, I appreciate 
your work. I think it is important because I say this all the time. I've said it to friends. I said, if we are concentrating on love language, which is true, if we are concentrating on family backgrounds and trauma, which is great, Mm -hmm. but why do we not check with a person's sexual personality? Am I supposed to wait in bed to find out what you like and don't like, or Mm -hmm. find out there are, like you said, certain traumas that you have been through or even understandable and understanding if we're compatible or not in that sense, right? Um, I think it is important. It doesn't have to get, if you're not comfortable with that, it doesn't have to get raunchy. Correct. But it could be in a healthy way where you're just like, and sometimes you tell me, is Mm -hmm. it, this could be a question, Mm -hmm. is it important to ask your partner how many partners they have had? Because you hear sometimes where it's just like, that's Mm -hmm. not important. The past is the past. And some people's like, no, I need to know how many bodies. (laughs) Like, like, Mm -hmm. I need to know how many people because for some people, male or female, that's a determining factor for them. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes it could be bias, you know, based on gender. For sure. But what what is your opinion um, yes. on that? In the sense of like, should that be something that's brought up, or if that's the person's past, that's their business? Yes, I love this question. Mm -hmm. Because I believe we're asking the wrong question. There isn't value in hearing someone's number. The value is understanding their experiences that they had, what Mm -hmm. they meant for them, how it impacted them. Mm -hmm. That's way more important than my number is six, my number is 20. That number doesn't give you enough information about what someone's relationship is to sex at all. So I think the question that we really need to ask each other are things like, do you have sexual experiences that you regret? Oh, okay. You see what I'm saying? Uh Uh-huh. Do you have sexual experiences that are very memorable and why? Those are the kinds of, that's way more important than a a count. Understood. Understood. I'll tell you, (laughs) I'll tell you something I heard and this is why I asked. Uh, I don't know where I'm at with that, with mm-hmm. the whole numbers thing. A part of me is like, yeah, I don't really care. But another part of me is like curiosity will kick in because yeah. I had a friend, a male friend. Uh, we we're just talking casually about it. And he was like, yeah, I'm up to like 200 women. And I was just like, wait, what? Excuse me? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because for me, I'm just like, how how did you get to that number? And like you said, after he said the number, it was now the reasoning behind that number. That's important. It, and so that's sometimes why I'm curious to the number. Cause I guess for me, if it's really, really, really high, I'm, or in my opinion of being really high, I want to know what was the process for that. Right. Yeah. Like, and when he described it, he still saw it as well, I'm doing what I'm doing, but it was, well, I just want to have fun and these women don't really mean anything. So it now made me tap in like, okay, so like you said, what is your relationship with sex? How do you view sexual experiences? And then based on that, I'm like, okay, going deeper into the root of it. Now a woman can make her choice of, you know what? That doesn't align with what I'm looking for, you know? Cause he could have stopped at the number and a woman would be like, whoa, but then it's like, why? And I thought it was important for me to ask him definitely why, you know, and he was just a friend of mine, but I'm like, cause I was like flabbergasted. I'm like, but how did you get to that? You know what I mean? And he's just like, here's why. And I was just like, oh, okay. It goes yes. way deeper than, than what you're just saying, you know? Yeah. So And consider maybe doing it in the reverse where you start with the question of what is your relationship with sex? What does sex mm-hmm. mean to you? Mm-hmm. I would imagine that someone who has a large count potentially may say something like, oh, it's just, it's kind of casual for me. Mm-hmm. I'm emotionally unavailable. Mm-hmm. It's about validate, right? Then you could say, mm, based on how you're defining what it means for you, do you have a high, a high count? What's mm-hmm. your number? You see I what see. I mean? Because now you're kind of connecting dots that way. Right. Then they can say, well, yeah, my number is like 250 and growing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> what, yeah, what does that mean? Right. You sound proud of that number. Right. Why? Those right. are important questions to ask. In the same way where someone may only have one. Right. And being able to say, okay, 
what does that mean for you? They might have a problem that they have one. They didn't really want one, but that's their life experience. And you Mm. get to hear about that. That's a good point because we're more prone to ask questions if the numbers are high. Because we're like, why, why, why? But if it's like one, you're just like, oh, that means you're not really into it or you're a good girl or a good guy. And that may be the case, quote unquote. It also means something, but we've made the assumption. And I like the way you phrase the questions because to me, some people may still feel like you're interrogating them. Yeah. But foundationally, your intentionality with the approach, I think making it a conversation instead of like, so what's your body count? What's this? What's that? It will not only inform you, but I wonder if it will make the person that you're, and I don't want to use the word questioning, but the person that you're conversing with, Mm -hmm. if it will cause them to even start to reflect on the conversation that you're having. Yes, because you're coming from a place of discovery and wanting to learn. Right. right? So the person is less likely to be defensive but mm-hmm. potentially could be in a place of learning something about themselves while they're sharing with you. Right, and I think that's the beauty. So let's get a little mm-hmm. more deeper in. Okay. And I want to understand, cause I've seen a lot, there's a lot going on now with sex talk. You have mm-hmm. the next uh, Netflix series called Pleasure. You have more sex therapists on Instagram, social yes. media, other podcasts are talking about it. And a lot of, and we're going to talk about a lot of things that have been coming up, but one of them is penetration versus clitoris stimulation and orgasm. What is the difference? We've always heard for the female is always due to clitoris, right? But understanding that you can have enjoyment and stimulation through penetration, but we hear it as because the penis is, and we're going to get to the sexual anatomy as well, the clitoris is like our version of the penis, right? So Mm -hmm. what is the difference between penetration and clitoris stimulation or orgasms? Yeah. So the biggest thing that you want to understand about your body all comes down to nerve endings. Nerve endings is where pleasure lives. There are 8,000 nerve endings on the outer clitoris. 8,000. That's a lot. That's <laughs> that's a lot. I'm like, have I experienced all 8,000? Like, I'm just like, wow. The vaginal canal does not have anywhere close to that number of nerve mm. endings that provide pleasure. So okay. from a biological standpoint, mm-hmm. it's very clear that women would experience more pleasure from stimulation of the outer clitoris. Okay. So there's that piece of it. But what's so wonderful about the clitoris is that mm-hmm. it is both external and internal. That was a reason a recent discovery of mine. Like I I never knew that it went internal as well. And yeah. it's unfortunate that that isn't education that we receive. Mm-hmm. And it further supports the idea that our pleasure is not as important as mm-hmm. someone with a penis. Right. Right. They know right. everything there is to know about their penis and the shaft and the balls and what it does and the right. Yes. Yes. But we are not educated the same way. Three fourths of the clitoris is inside of our body. That's wow. pretty significant. And the legs of the clitoris are like a bridge that go over the vaginal canal. So when women experience pleasure from penetration, Mm -hmm. it is often because the clitoris is involved on the Mm. inside. It's not the vaginal canal. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. So this gets erect just like a penis does and swells up when you get aroused. And so it's going to give all these wonderful juicy sensations when it's stimulated via penetration. So it's not actually the vaginal canal that's creating it. It's the internal clitoris that's also getting stimulated. Makes sense. Okay. So it has nothing to do with the vagina. Not the vagina, the canal. It has nothing to do with that. No. Wow. Okay. Because like you said, all we know is the outer. And we think that's where it ends. Like it starts here and then it probably ends right here. Yep. And And that's all we know. All we got to do is to please here and then that's it. The clitoris is very powerful. And what's so amazing about it is it has no other purpose 
It's not connected to reproduction. It's not connected to your urethra, waste elimination, nothing. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. only purpose is for you to have pleasure. To me, that was just my permission slip. Once I learned that, I said, well, all this time, I've been acting like I shouldn't be experiencing pleasure, but you're telling me that I was designed with a part of my body that has no other purpose but to have pleasure? Wow. I've been going about this thing all wrong. The wrong way. And that makes sense. To I mean, not to get so deep, but that makes sense where certain tribes and certain culture do genital mutilation because they don't want women to experience pleasure. They want it to just be about reproduction, right? Yeah. They don't want the concept of temptation or lust yeah. or desires because yes. that's not what you were created for. But you just said a very significant thing. You're telling me as a woman, that's not what I was created for, but my body was designed that way. So if my body was designed that way, that means it has meaning and it that's has right. purpose here. And for you to now remove it or mutilate it, it's like you're trying to play God, yeah. you know? So that's, oh, like you said, I didn't even think about it in, in that way of if that's its purpose, then it was designed for me to receive pleasure that way. It's very I empowering. Know. It's very empowering because the, the penis has multiple multiple purposes. We Break have something that they don't because their urethra is inside of their penis. They pee that way. Right, right. Right. So it's not just for pleasure. Also how they are able to ejaculate and impregnate. Okay. Got it. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And it only has three to 5,000 nerve endings. So we have more. So we have more. I'm done. And here we are faking something. Let's talk, about, let's talk about the faking. Let's jump right into that, right? So that's something I've talked about as well during this mm -hmm. season. But the hype on social media is DJ Envy and his wife. Everybody's talking about it. You know, his uh, his wife was faking it for 10 years. 10 years, like that's not possible. And I've asked certain mm. guy friends in private and they all deem that they can tell. Can you really tell? Because they feel like, well, I can feel it when you're orgasm, orgasming. So if you're not, I can tell that you're faking it, but I'm just like, how does that really, so you can break it down for me. Is it true that a man can always tell because while he's in us, he should be able to feel the contractions happening or is it, that's not how it always happens mm -hmm. or, and I know some men will say, yeah, I know she's faking it, but I don't care. I'm still having sex. I'm, it's, it's about what I'm getting. You mm. know what I mean? So she could fake all she want and I could tell, but I'm just trying to get mine. Well, that already tells you what type of sexual experience you're having, right? Sure. And I tell women to be very aware of that concept as well. Yeah, break it down for me. Is it possible for a man to know or to know, I should say, that a woman is faking? So great question. Men have what we call peak orgasms. Mm -hmm. I want to distinguish the difference between the two because it's really mm -hmm. important in understanding how men may think about orgasms. They okay. have a peak experience. The sexual pressure builds, builds, builds. And then they have this explosive, typically one and done. They might need 15 minutes. Some people need a couple days. Everybody has mm -hmm. a different kind of mm -hmm. refractory period. Men often assume that a woman should orgasm the way they do. And we don't. Our orgasms are on a spectrum of intensity. So a woman could have an orgasm that feels more like a wave. And the body, one, we don't always ejaculate for mm -hmm. a man to see, which is right. often the proof, right? That someone right. came, they think of it in that way. Yeah. On the high end of intensity, what can happen is the cervix can contract depending on where the penis is located at the time and the mm -hmm. position, a man can feel that. That could be his indication that a woman is having an orgasm. But depending on where her cervix is located that month, in the month because of her cycle, the position that they're really? in, mm -hmm, your cervix changes. Yep. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's positioning. And so depending on the position that you're in or how deep they are, a mm -hmm. woman could have an orgasm and the man not know. Okay. 
And it also depends on if the orgasm is coming from outer clitoral stimulation during penetration, Mm -hmm. that may feel very different from an internal um, orgasm that's strictly from penetration. Okay. Um, Some women can have an orgasm when their cervix is stimulated from the penis from a deep penetration. That can produce a different type of response. Now, some women will fake and they think that if they make the verbal sounds, right, right, that that's going to kind of trick them into believing. But again, it depends on the man's kind of education and understanding of that woman's body for them to potentially know if they are faking or if they're not. It really depends on so many different variables. But do I believe that someone could go 10 years and not know? I do believe that's possible. It's very possible. For someone, I mean, a woman could even do a Kegel and make the man think that she's having an orgasm. That is very true. Not That is very true. That is very mm-hmm. true. What other reasons do you believe us as women fake orgasms? Like the deeper sense, like, yeah, okay, we want to get it over with. We're not really mm-hmm. enjoying it. We're trying to feed his ego. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the reasons you believe us as women, we've carried this element of faking orgasms and to a certain extent, we're still doing it. Some women are still doing it out here. So even with the whole more sexual education and sexual mm-hmm. awareness, there's something innately in not innately, but there's something that has been seeded in us to think that, like you said, that this is something that we should be doing. Where do you think it stems from? So I think it's layered, but I think the best way that I could describe it is beyond the ego of a man, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And recognizing that much of masculinity is connected to sexual performance. Yes. And women have played along in that script Mm -hmm. of sexual performance to protect a man's masculinity. Men often fall apart when their woman does not have an orgasm. It can Mm -hmm. be very difficult for them to handle that. Mm -hmm. And what's sad is they're not focused on the pleasure that the woman experiences. Nope. They're focused on the orgasm as a trophy. So I think that women often come from this place of, you know, fraudulent pleasure Mm -hmm. because they're, they don't take ownership of their part in creating this pleasure and orgasm experience. Yes. That makes sense. For so long as women, we haven't been taught, like you said, this whole idea of why you even began coming uh, coming into this field. Like you said, we haven't been taught that we deserve pleasure. Mm-hmm. We haven't been taught that, like you said, we're a participant in this experience. If we are to be, it has to look a certain way. Now, don't get me wrong. Everything I believe has its place. People have their preferences. But from my understanding, it always has to look like the most raunchiest, Mm. explicit display to say, oh, yeah, this is me. Like, it has to be like dominatrix. Mm. It has to be like the most nastiest sex you could ever have as as a woman to say like, yeah, this is this is Mm -hmm. me taking on of my pleasure where, okay, you have that, but you don't even show variations of how a woman can display her sexuality or display what pleasure means for her right so i think it's it's very important for us not to be fed what is deemed as pleasurable or a certain sexual experience specifically for women because for men you can have any type of sex what type of sex how you want with what kind of woman it's your world but as a woman there's always some type of narration that is done for us yeah and we're not allowed to create our own narrative So can you break down all the parts of the vulva? What do they do? What are they there for? And then we could go a little bit deeper in there. But I I think we need to understand that. So I'm so glad that you are calling it a vulva because that's what it is. I learned. I learned. (laughs) One of the things that, again, that's unfortunate is that Mm -hmm. we have misnamed our parts. I do not call my knee my elbow, right? Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. we should not call 
our vulva, our vagina, Mm. because it takes away from the power of all of the aspects of it that it brings for our pleasure. We don't want to reduce it. Um, So I think that's just important to point out. The vagina is only one part of the vulva. And it's just the vaginal opening that's visible to the eye. So when a woman puts a mirror between her legs, when she thinks about penetration, the vaginal opening is part of the vulva. And that's where penis, finger, tongue, or toy, or whatever you enjoy, that's where that goes, Mm -hmm. right? And there's a lot of nerve endings right at the entrance of it, which a lot of times people don't explore. It's all about penetration because- the person who's penetrating may be more focused on their pleasure. But when you think about exploring that area, there's a lot of pleasure to experience before you enter it. Mm -hmm. So I want to put that out there. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then Mm -hmm. of course, the star of the show is the clitoris, right? Yes. And it's a gland. It has 8,000 nerve endings and it has a hood. It's like it has its own protector. So there's a very thin layer of tissue that retracts when you get aroused. It's amazing how the body works. So imagine you have your hoodie on. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm getting aroused. I'm being stimulated. And so what your body does is it literally says, let me expose more of this gland that has the 8,000 nerve endings so that we can receive and take in the pleasure. The hood retracts on its own. You do nothing. You, You don't do this. Just like you don't tell yourself to breathe. You don't say clitoral hood, please retract because I'm about to get some. No, yes, yes. literally like, again, the power of this amazes me every single time I think about it. Wow. The hood will retract on its own and the gland of the clitoris will swell and get a little bit larger. Right. I've heard of that. When you're aroused. Blood is rushing to that area and it is plump and ready for stimulation. Amazing. The same with the labia. So people call it lips. Everyone kind of has different slang words for that. Um, One area is larger and one is smaller. It's kind of like the inner and then the outer. It's very much like a mouth. So I think it's important for women to look at their vulva when they're not in an aroused state versus when they are. Your vulva looks completely different. Yes. Changes color because of the blood flow. Some women will experience, depending on their skin tone, they may see hues of violet, hues of plum. Wow. Yeah. I'm learning today. It might get a little more melanated right? Where it might look a little pinker when you're not aroused. But then when you are aroused, when you look, it may look like you got a little tan. It's a little darker in certain spots. Yeah. And we should know our bodies that intimately. Yeah. Cause I'm learning more even now. And I'm like, I never knew that. Yeah. 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 The vulva is a unicorn. (laughs) It is. And the labia is very, you know, it can look very just relaxed, wrinkly, Mm -hmm. um, just kind of like chill when it's not aroused, but it's going to look very different once that blood flow is makes sense going. Things are getting erect because you have erectile tissue, just Mm -hmm. like men have erectile tissue. We don't get the same level of hardness, even though there are some clitorises that can get very, very hard and others not so much. So it just depends on your body um, and your blood flow and your diet and a whole bunch of other things. But I think it's important to recognize that it looks very different. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then your urethra where we pee, that's also part of the vulva. Yes. It's not connected to pleasure, but it's still part of the vulva. So to me, vulva is the group name like Destiny's Child. Yes. And then all the parts, everybody got a part that it plays and works beautifully when we understand it and know it and take time to explore it on our own and can be comfortable with it. One of the things we have to be mindful of is judgment of how it looks. 
Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Because mm-hmm. it's it, with the book that I was reading, The Queen V, there was a diagram of how there are different vaginas, right? The same way we have different shapes of breast, right? That's right. Um, and yeah. how they're plump, separate, long, whatever. It's yes. the same thing for our vulva. And I like how she describes each, the typical ones that you're to see with different flower, flowers, right? Like this one looks yeah. more like a rosebud. This one looks more like a tulip where you know the lips kind of hang out a little bit more and it was showing that there's beauty because again if we're going back to pornography or certain movies Mm -hmm. the concept Mm -hmm. of this is how it's supposed to look like this is what is deemed attractive and I know men go through the same thing too when it comes to size and girth what's more appealing right what's more sexually appealing so like you said removing the judgment that we have even for our own vulvas I I love that because it's very important because I think that also coincides with the type of confidence we will have in our sexual experience 100% accepting Mm -hmm. your body fully, right? Women are often um, concerned about what they wear, how their hair looks, their makeup, right? Like thinking about all these external things. Right. And this kind of just skip by this midsection, this very important part of their body and just kind of skip that. Like, oh, yeah that thing down there and that thing down there we need to look at it we need to give it affirmation um, Mm -hmm. because it is very powerful yes I do agree is there there's two questions my listeners they they knew I was gonna have this conversation and they were like can you ask this so one of the questions was do we have a g-spot and if we do where exactly is it and where are the other spots The G-spot is a very controversial concept from a science perspective. What I like to tell people is there is a cluster of nerves that is located on the front wall of the vaginal canal that's Mm -hmm. often considered the G-spot area. It's a cluster of nerves that are connected to the internal clitoris. And it it can feel like the inside of a peach. If you feel your own... If you insert your finger um, about really not that far, like a little bit past your first knuckle, and if you do the come here motion with it, you Mm -hmm. will likely touch it. It's not deep inside, which a lot of times women believe. People think. Mm hmm. It's like yes. never, never land. It's hard to find. Right. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually in the front of the vaginal wall. And mm-hmm. if stimulated a certain way, some women can squirt and mm-hmm. ejaculate fluid that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also just produce a lot of pleasure because there's a lot of nerve endings, nerve endings. connected to the clitoris which we already know is just filled with it. Yes. Yeah. So there is an area, again, some people say it's not really there or it's there or is it a G spot? Mm -hmm. I think it's a cluster. I call it like a G cluster because it's a whole bunch of nerves that are in there. Are there any others? Because I've also heard something about an A spot or... Yes. So that Uh one is deeper, closer to the cervix. Okay. So remember when we were talking about kind of that cervix stimulation, that can create, that would be considered the A spot. Okay. And that can create a lot of pleasure and potentially an orgasm internally. As well. Oh, so do you think that's how people get the confusion of clitoris versus penetration, orgasm and stipulation? Because if it's like a really deep penetration, they would assume that it's, yes, it's, you're not touching, like you said, because now we're getting educated on the anatomy, just because not you're not touching the outer part so you're Mm -hmm. thinking oh it's only due to penetration through the canal when it's Mm -hmm. yes it's penetration but it's penetration which is still touching the nerve endings of the clitoris it is yes so essentially what's happening the clitoris just plays a part in all your pleasure no matter what internal or external Mm. but it is a wonderful way for women to enjoy orgasm from penetration but the mindset is it's not just because of the stroke or the vaginal canal is alone kind of responsible for this orgasm, right? Mm -hmm. It's also because of everything else that's happening inside Mm -hmm. with the clitoris, the internal clitoris is playing a part um, in some way. 
And you mentioned squirting before, and that was another question was, do all women have the capacity to squirt or do you have to be some special kind of woman to be able to do that? Because again, we're all going based on visuals, right? We've seen comedic versions of squirting where it looks like somebody threw a bucket on somebody like you know what i mean so (laughs) sometimes it could feel like an over exaggerated you know element of squirting but is every woman capable of squirting or is it like no some people won't and some people will and that's okay so from an anatomy perspective if you have Mm -hmm. all the anatomy associated with a vulva and a clitoris, Mm -hmm. the likelihood of you being able to squirt is Mm -hmm. very, very high. Now, there are so many other factors that impact that happening, determine like the possibility. Okay. But could you? Yeah, you probably could because Mm -hmm. you have all the parts that are needed. Now, what will it look like? That's where we get down to some distinction because Mm -hmm. you can have clear ejaculation Mm-hmm. Or you can have a milky seeping slower discharge that is also mm-hmm. an ejaculation. I think it's important for women to know that squirting is not synonymous with orgasm. And I think a lot of times women think like, oh, if I have an orgasm, then maybe I should also be ejaculating. Correct. correct. And not necessarily because a woman right. can have can squirt but not have experienced an orgasm. Understood. It's funny because when talking about the man's experience, right, I read something that said, uh, even for a man, ejaculation and orgasm is different. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll read an excerpt here. And I think I read it from the book called uh, The Way of a Superior Man. Mm-hmm. And it says um, ejaculation and orgasm are not the same thing at all. There are two vastly different body functions that happen to occur usually around the same time. The general public is not alone in this confusion. I'm often amazed when I'm talking to a urologist that even they confuse mm-hmm. these two events. Ejaculation is the pulsing contraction of the pelvic penile muscles to expel semen. Mm -hmm. Ejaculations can include one or many muscular contractions that can last anywhere from a couple seconds to 30 seconds or more. And it is normal for the semen to dribble out. And it's also normal for the semen to shoot several feet as well. Everyone is different. And for some men, which many do not know, no semen may not come out. And that does not mean there was no ejaculation. It just simply means there was dry ejaculation. Mm-hmm. Compared to an orgasm, it is a euphoric feeling that occurs within the climax. Very often, an orgasm can contribute to muscle spasms, vocal sounds, and other body movements, but these movements do not aid in the expulsion of semen. An mm-hmm. orgasm is caused by a sudden release of brain chemicals, and orgasms can last anywhere for a few seconds to more for some men. So would you say this is the same type of experience for a woman? 100%. Mm. Yes, absolutely. So when a woman has an orgasm, then dopamine, serotonin, right? These Mm -hmm. hormones are being released in the brain. Again, she may or may not have any fluid ejaculation that happens along Mm -hmm. with that feeling of euphoria. It is more common for men to have the two happening at the same time. It's easy for people to think that they have to go together, but that they should go together for us, but ours doesn't look the same way. The other issue is sometimes women have some ejaculation that happens, but they don't know because the penis is inside of them. So they don't know, like it's dark. It's like, like you don't, again, if it's not this gushing thing that's coming out, you don't know necessarily that it's happening, but it could be happening. Understood. So what would you say with the squirting, saying that it's not needed per se, Mm-hmm. Is there certain things, I guess a person asked me, is there certain things that can be done to increase the possibility? Like what are the things mm-hmm. to increase the possibility of that happening? 
So increasing the possibility means a lot of intense, intense arousal and stimulation. Mm -hmm. Being hydrated is going to play a very big role, as well as for some women, um, stimulation of that cluster of nerves, the G-spot area can, with a lot of um, persistent and consistent stimulation, can result in an ejaculation. What exactly is that fluid? You said the yeah. <clears throat> there's the milky kind and the clear kind. The clear kind, exactly what is it? Because some people may joke and just be like, is it also urine? Like, mm. what, what exactly is that fluid and where does it come from? Majority of it comes from your bladder. Okay. So if you empty your bladder prior to, then you will less likely have urine mixed in. So mm. a lot of research says that it could have 3% urine. Okay. In it, but it is it accumulates from the arousal. So the more aroused you are, the more that this fluid is being secreted into the bladder that can then be released with certain stimulation. Okay. Which is why you have to be heavily aroused, but and really aroused for that okay. to happen. So that's like the easiest version for me to explain it without like a diagram. <laughs> and when you say heavily aroused, and we're, we're going to wrap up here because I want these two last elements to be what my listeners hear when because you talk a lot on your page also about foreplay, the importance of foreplay, the beauty of foreplay. And like you're saying, you need to be heavily aroused. And a lot of times, again, men are unaware, not all men are unaware of the importance of foreplay or the importance of how our body is made up or even for themselves. They always feel like, oh, we got to go and rush into it. Where I yeah. heard some men that when they actually took the time to engage in foreplay and be present, mm -hmm. it was more euphoric for them. What is the purpose of foreplay and what can foreplay look like? So the purpose of foreplay, well, let me preface, the purpose that we should adopt mm -hmm. of foreplay is really only around pleasure. What we typically do is use it as a way to be prepared for penetration. Mm -hmm. So the mindset is we're going to have this foreplay because I want to make sure you're wet enough to receive the penis takes the focus away from the vagina person mm -hmm. <laughs> to the penis owner. So if we replace the word foreplay with pleasure play, Mm -hmm. We can train our minds to really be present in the experience of sensations just for sensation's sake. Penetration or any other way that you choose to enjoy sex is part of a menu of things that's happening. So floor, foreplay really should be a lifestyle, not something that just happens right before penetration. A lifestyle means how you engage with your partner when you're mm -hmm. not in the bedroom. What is communication like? Right. Um, are you flirting with them? How are you connected to them? How are you meeting their emotional needs? All of that can be seen as foreplay because you're, ex you're creating moments of closeness and intimacy. If you have that, that's going to amplify your physical pleasure experience when you get to that place. So right. foreplay can be no touching, it could be a sexy text message, or it could be oral pleasure, right? Again, mm -hmm. it's the spectrum of things that create intimacy and closeness. I like that. I like that. Hmm, I didn't even think about that, like in the sense of like foreplay could mean no touching. It could mean flirtation. It could mean, you know, eye gazing. Yeah. It could mean a text message. Yeah. It's everything that is engaging our senses. Yeah. So not only to, and it's true, even before you said it, I think my mentality was still stuck on, well, this is a foreplay you have to do to get my body ready for penetration. But you saying that is so beautiful where it's just like outside of penetration, we could still take part in pleasure play that even if penetration doesn't happen, yeah. we could still enter into a euphoric state. Absolutely. I absolutely love that. I yeah. love that. I love that. Um, and last, how would you define 
sexuality versus sensuality. So I think it's important to understand that they can be independent of one another as well as intertwined. Sensuality is how you experience things through your senses, which can be sexy or not. Mm -hmm. Right. So listening to music, being in a nature scene, like visually being stimulated, watching the ocean or Mm. moving your body with music is a sensual experience. Smelling something that creates a feeling of pleasure, whether that's food or someone's pheromones, right? Like all of that is a sensual experience. How Mm -hmm. you take in information through your senses and process it. And then your sexuality is connected to the best way to, it's kind of tricky to explain it without Mm -hmm. connecting it to sensuality. But your your sexuality is how you experience arousal and desire. Again, it's not about an act, but it's about an erotic experience. And that is in and of itself sexuality. But it's hard. It can be hard to experience sexuality without without sensuality. Right. But you can right. experience sensuality without sexuality. Very much so. Yep. Because I guess when I think of sensuality, like you said, I do think about the five senses, right? And how it is awakened and tended to. But sometimes with certain sexual experiences, not all, or certain casual, I don't see the concentration on the sensuality. It may just be me where Mm -hmm. it's more of like an end goal. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, let's just have sex and, you know, let's have an orgasm and that's it. So, mm-hmm. yes, technically your senses were 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 catered to per se, but mm-hmm. I wonder if people are concentrating more of the sex and the end goal compared to, like you said, yeah. the sensuality that comes with it. And mm-hmm. the sensuality doesn't always have to look like a neo soul type of experience <laughs> right. you know sure. it could it could look different because people usually think sensuality just means everything is slow and everything is very yeah. neo soulish i think yeah. it could look different oh absolutely there is Got there's it. no one size fits all oh man casey thank you so much for all the information that you have given today um i've learned a couple new things and that's what i was Yay. expecting Good. i also wanted to learn new things and again thank you for the work that you're doing also even when it comes comes to like you were saying in the beginning with premarital sex and therapy and just helping individuals come to this freedom because I think with sexuality there's a lot of shame that is attached Mm -hmm. but a a healthy way of discovering your freedom when it comes to that so thank you again for being on the podcast so listeners Thank you for tuning in to She Discovered Podcast. As always, I hope that you've learned many things here that has developed wisdom inside of you, discoveries inside of you, and please tune in for the next episode. Thank you for listening into this week's episode. I hope you've gained some knowledge, insight, and clarity in this moment creating your own inner discoveries. And most importantly, head over to at She Discovered Podcast on Instagram to interact with me and receive more tips and info relating to all topics discussed. As always, you are appreciated.